0: Good morning. Good morning. We are studying the book of Acts. And this is the 12th message in what promises to be a 397 part series. So stay tuned for all of them. Our hope in studying the book of Acts, though, is that by studying the very first Christians, we will learn how to live and act differently in our own lives. So I want you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 11, beginning with verse 19. All right. And listen for God's word to you today. Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that took place over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, and they spoke the word to no one except Jews. All right. So I just want to stop right, right there. If you're anything like me, as soon as there, you know, um, geographical locations, like you just your ears glaze over, or what, you know, it's like ah, whatever these places are and everything. But what's happening is Stephen, remember, was stoned in Jerusalem. Okay, and. Saul, who becomes Paul, is presiding at this stoning. So Christians are being persecuted. Some Christians leave Jerusalem as a result. And what they do is they go up the Mediterranean coast to Phoenicia, to um, Cyprus, a little island off the Mediterranean, and um, Antioch. Okay, so that's where they are. And as they're going, they're telling the good news about Jesus, but they're only speaking to Jewish people. Okay, at this point. So, Soon after Jesus' ascension, those authorities continued to hunt down Jesus' followers. But, and now I'm picking up at verse 20. But among them were some men of Cyprus and Cyrene who, on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists also, proclaiming the Lord Jesus. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number became believers and turned to the Lord." All right, so now we got another little vocabulary word. Who are these Hellenists? Okay, so we've got guys from Cyprus, that's that island, in Cyrene, that's modern Libya, and they're coming to Antioch as well. That's right on the coast of what what was then called Syria, but right now it's probably part of Lebanon. Okay, so these guys, a different group of apostles, disciples, are preaching the good news to the. Hellenists. Now Hellenists are Jewish people who were quite comfortable with Greek culture. They are from uh, around the empire but Jewish by birth and they embraced aspects of Greek culture and lifestyle. And because of this they weren't really seen by Jerusalem Jews as good Jews. Some might say, oh, they're a little bit more worldly or, or more pagan. Um, they are about as Gentile as you could be and still be called Jewish. But the interesting thing is, Luke tells us here that it turns out that they were more receptive to the good news than the good Jews were. So verse 22. News of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he rejoiced and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast devotion. For Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was for an entire year they associated with the church and taught a great many people. It was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So it was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. Christians. And we take that last word for granted. At the time, there might have been maybe a hundred or maybe a few hundred Christians. Sociologists tell us that there are now 2.38 billion Christians in the world. But what does that word mean? What does it mean to be a Christian? Do all Christians believe alike, act alike? Are you a Christian? Am I a Christian? How do we know? What does it mean to be a Christian? That's what we're wrestling with today. We might go back in the history books and say, well, what did it mean at this time in Antioch? Well, what it meant, first of all, was that you were Jewish, right? At this point, Christians, almost all of them, were Jewish by birth. At this point, Christianity was still seen as a sect, a part of Judaism, like the Pharisees and Sadducees and the Essenes. Remember the Essenes from the Dead Sea Scrolls? The Essenes lived in the desert. Sadducees were known for not believing in the resurrection. They were sad, you see. Um, (laughs) You know, pastors only have a few good Sadducee jokes, and that's the one right there. Okay, so the Christians or... Better yet, the Christians, as they would have been known, were known for being a small and growing group of Jews who claimed that the long-promised Christ, or Messiah in Hebrew, had come in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. Okay, so, so that's how, if you'd been on the street of Antioch and said, who are these Christians? Oh, they're Jews who say that the Messiah they've been waiting for has come. And his name was Jesus of Nazareth. So Christians believed, Christians were believed to be extraordinary Jews. They believed that a man executed for crimes against the empire had been sent by God to save them somehow from that very empire. It was only in the years that followed afterwards that Christianity began to identify the evil empire, the one that Jesus saved us from, with Satan's kingdom and not Caesar's. So you can see how that was confusing. They were expecting Caesar's empire to be overthrown, but it wasn't in at least any way that we could see. Ah, the battle was spiritual. It was Satan's power that was being overthrown. So these first Christians also claimed that this Jesus had risen from the dead, been raised from the dead by his heavenly father. And they said that this Raising of Jesus from the dead was, in fact, proof that he was the Messiah sent by God and that he wasn't a, a victim of the Romans, but was their conqueror, conqueror and the Jews' Savior. Okay, so this is, we're trying to get inside the mindset of these first Christians. What did they believe? They believed Jesus was sent by God, Jesus was the Messiah, and that he was sent to free them. We could say that the first Christians were Jews who believed that Jesus was the Messiah, sent by God to save them, and risen from the dead. But beliefs weren't the only things that set these Jews apart from other Jews of the day. They also acted differently, and this is important too. One of the the most distinguishing things is that they baptized. Now to outsiders, like the Gentiles around them, baptism probably looked a lot like what Jews were already known for. Holy washing, or what we'd call today like ritual bathing, in a stone-carved mikvah. A small pool with steps leading into it and then stone steps leading out of it. But for the followers of this newly proclaimed Messiah, baptism wasn't just a cleansing. It was more. Baptism to the first Christians was more than a washing. It was a symbolic drowning a symbolic death and resurrection. Think of the the motion that you see sometimes when people are totally immersed. They cross their hands like this, right, and go back almost in a death posture, and then they come bursting up out of the water. That's the way the first Christians would have understood what was going on, is we're reenacting, in a sense, this experience of going from death to life. These Jews didn't repeat baptism like other Jews repeatedly washed in the mikveh. Christians believe that one washing, one baptism served for all time. To Gentiles looking at this new sect of Jews from the outside, yeah, baptism would have seemed harmless. But this strange group of Jews also practiced cannibalism. Or at least what sounded a lot like cannibalism. Think about this. When rumors started spreading of who these Jews were, these Christian Jews, the Gentile neighbors would have heard that they gathered regularly to eat the body and drink the blood of Jesus. Now, of course, we know what they were doing, gathering together for the Lord's Supper and other meals, yes, They did that regularly. This was a big part of being a follower from the very beginning. These communal meals, eating together. But what we call the Lord's Supper and what they practice as the Lord's Supper would have seemed very strange and immoral to outsiders, at least at first. But the first Christians shared not just baptism and the Lord's Supper. They shared their whole lives with each other they celebrated and cried together. When another follower was sick, everyone helped. They saw each other as a family forged in the waters of baptism, not by the blood of birth, but by the water of rebirth. So how they treated each other was just as as distinctive for this group of Jews as baptism and communion. Christians cared for each other as brothers and sisters. And they related to their Messiah, to Jesus, not simply as our brother Jesus, not simply as their promised Messiah, but they used yet a different word. They called him their Lord. And this was a very big deal. In those days in the Roman Empire, there was only one Lord, and his name was Caesar, the emperor. Citizens owed everything to this Lord, to him. But these Christians called Jesus Lord. They said that they owed their lives and loyalties and their eternities to him and him alone. So it wasn't what the first Christians believed that got them in trouble with the Romans. And it wasn't even their religious practices, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Eventually the Romans figured out that communion wasn't cannibalism. But what eventually got the ire of the Roman authorities was how they related to each other, and how they related to Jesus. How they pledged their ultimate loyalty to each other and to Jesus, not to Caesar. This is what got them in trouble. So let's see if we can define what it meant to be one of those first Christians in Antioch. They were Jews, that's where it began, who believed differently. Unlike other Jews, these Jews said, the Messiah has come in Jesus. He was sent by God to save us. And he also rose from the dead. They believed differently and they acted differently. They practiced baptism and shared a holy meal together. And they related differently to God and each other. They created new families of faith and called Jesus Lord. So these three differences in belief and practice and relationships made Christians stand out from everybody else 2,000 years ago. But what's a Christian today? So if somebody asks you, how would you define being a Christian today? That's what we're going to explore a little bit. Sociologists define Christianity as this. This is from the Open Education Sociological Dictionary. Okay. Christianity is the monotheistic belief system based on the Old and New Testaments of the Bible, particularly the teachings of Jesus Christ. That's how it's defined. So by this definition, being a Christian is all about, and only about, what we believe. But we know it's so much more. Being a Christian involves our whole body, our whole being. It may start with our head, with what we believe, but it quickly moves to our hearts and how we relate to others and to Jesus himself. And once Jesus is in your head and your heart, he's going to work his way into your hands too. Like long ago, Christians today don't just believe differently from others. We relate differently than others and we live out our faith differently from others. Christianity then involves our head, heart and our hands you can believe in your head that Jesus was the Messiah sent by God but if you're not talking to Jesus in prayer you're missing out on an essential relationship talking with God every day but we can talk to Jesus in prayer every day and if we're not treating others the way Jesus would with patience and kindness giving a helping hand to the poor and the powerless then we're not really living like Jesus, are we? And we can treat others with remarkable decency and kindness, but if we don't grasp with our heads what Jesus has done for us, we're good people, but we're not Christians. So here are a few more ways to think about what it means to be a Christ follower, a Christian today. We could say it means we follow Jesus as our Lord and Savior. That's a very simple definition, very clear. We follow Jesus as our Lord and Savior. I like this definition because it's active. It implies that we do something. We follow. Following is an active word that involves our whole bodies. You can't follow with just your feet or just your head. Your whole body goes together. And I like that this definition includes some some words that tell us how we relate to Jesus, he's our Lord. That means Jesus gives us direction in life. He's our coach, our our boss, he he tells us who we are. And we owe him our all. When he says jump, we say, oh, I'll break a hip. Um, No, we don't say that, we say how high? Okay, it's getting to the back rows right now. Yes, okay, good, good, okay. Yeah, no, we, that's what it means to have a Lord, is when when the Lord says do something, we do it. It's our obligation. It's our, it's our duty. It's, it's what we do. It's what we're made for. And he is our Savior too. We trust that Jesus' death has completely reconciled us to God. A free gift to us. We are now forgiven and free as a result. And here's another definition of of Christians. We bear the name, image, and likeness of Jesus. Now, name, image, and likeness is a phrase that we're hearing a lot about these days. It's all over college sports. Um, it refers to college athletes being paid for each time their their name, their image, their picture, or um, a, like an animated graphic of them is used on a poster, a, a jersey, or a, a video game. And I love seeing little kids wearing jerseys with the name of their favorite college players on the, on the back. You know, it says, I want to be like this player someday. She's my idol. Um, he's who I'm going to be someday. Of course, Christians don't emulate any athlete. We bear the name, image, and likeness of Jesus Christ. We trust his name, his power and authority. We look in the mirror and see that by God's grace we are made in his image and we are part of his family. And we are becoming more and more like him through the Holy Spirit. We believe we're coming more like Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And sometimes children get me confused with God. I know that's fine, hard to believe. Um, but to a small child, uh, what goes on in here um, is perplexing. And, you know, the robe and everything, who knows what it is. Uh, it takes them a little while to figure out that I'm just like God's spokesman, not Jesus himself. Uh, but the other day, when a little boy was trying to get my attention and said clear as day, Jesus, I just smiled and said, yes, Now, his mother straightened him out right quick. But yes, I like to be mistaken for Jesus. And you should, too, because it means that in some way you are bearing his name, his image and likeness. And you're doing it so well that, at least for a moment, people are confused. They're seeing Jesus in you. When we're doing that, we're the closest thing to being Jesus' hands and feet, his heart and mind in the world today. And doesn't our world need more Jesus today? Sure. The world needs more Christians, more Christians today. Anyone can be a Christian, you don't have to be Jewish or anything first. We don't say how you're supposed to vote or who you can love. We don't take an official stand on the perpetual virginity of Mary or whether the earth was created in seven literal 24-hour days or, or eons through divine evolution. In our second family, we have different opinions about abortion, immigration, climate change, and what teams to root for on Sunday afternoons. You don't have to look like us, talk like us, act like us, because... That's not the goal of being a Christian. We want to look, sound, and act like Jesus. I want you to think for a moment. I asked you earlier, what is a Christian? But now I want you to think of, if I were to say, conjure up an image of who is a Christian. Just picture, don't say anything, just picture it, Okay. What qualities, and again, I want you to think about this, what qualities do you see in them when you think of, okay, yes, that person is a Christ follower. That person is a Christian. And and if you're stuck, I know, like this weekend, of course, we're remembering Martin Luther King. We've already remembered Cree Clark. Soon we'll be thinking of Mary Brandt. Each one of these people, I'm I'm betting, is, is pretty different from you. That's to be expected. They're different from each other. But again, our goal isn't to be necessarily like them, though that's probably not a bad idea, but it's to be like the one and only Lord that they follow. I think for us, being a Christian means at least this. That yes, Jesus is Lord and Savior. We're completely forgiven and free because of what Jesus has done. Jesus is risen from the dead and spiritually alive now, reigning with his heavenly Father and ours. We start our Christian journey officially in baptism and we find strength for it in the Lord's Supper. And we try to live like Jesus in all of our relationships, giving and serving, worshiping and praying, and sharing our lives with each other in this second family. I don't know that that sounds a lot like being a Christian to me. I wonder if it sounds like someone you would like to be. Our goal here is to help you become a full-bodied follower of Jesus Christ with your head, your heart and your hands. Let's pray. God, we thank you for those first followers of Jesus who didn't have the benefit of all of Scripture like we do or centuries of the faithful going before us, but even early on recognized you as their Lord, trusted you as their Savior, and followed you as their Messiah. We pray that we could have the boldness of belief like them, but also that we would recognize that there will be differences in our understandings of who Jesus is and what we are to do with our lives. We give you thanks and praise for the practices over the centuries that we have kept faithfully, baptism and the Lord's Supper, gathering together to support each other in prayer and preaching. We thank you for these practices that have sustained us and made us different from other groups. We pray, too, that we would be people who relate to each other differently, that we would go beyond our biological families and care for each other as all equally adopted into Christ's family and help us, Lord, to continue to see you as different, not just our brother, not just our Messiah, but our creator to whom we owe all. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.